Jesus, we thank you that you have loved us, that you have saved us. We thank you for not giving up on us. We thank you for the blood. We thank you that the stripes of Jesus pursued our healing. We thank you that you have never given up on us. We thank you that you have tattooed us on the palms of your heart. We thank you that you sing over us with joy. We thank you for giving us Jesus. We thank you most importantly that we can call you Father and that you call us your children. We pray that may Christ alone be exalted in our discussion tonight. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. Wow, we thank God for tonight. And we are continuing our study on who is my neighbor. And tonight is the third part. And we are looking at what the good Samaritan did. So we just like to read the scripture again. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 following. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Some versions say, do this and you would have eternal life. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked, Who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. Wow. They took his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. It's just similar to, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill and destroy. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. Verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So the priest saw the man. You know, sometimes we can see certain things going on, but we pretend as though we have not seen. <laughs> we are being a priest. <laughs> 32. So to a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw the man and pass by the other side. Mm. As for this Levite. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. The Samaritan was sensitive to this man. He took pity on him. Verse 34. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I will refurbish you for any extra cost you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. But the powerful story. I like the way Jesus teaches with stories. So tonight we want to continue on who is our neighbor. And last week we ended on the fact that the good Samaritan, which was in the verse 33, 
that first he took pity on him. We need to be sensitive to people. If you are in an office, if you are a doctor, whichever profession you find yourself, your roommates, be sensitive to your roommates. If you are in a room with someone, you can't just be playing loud music. You can't just do things that are convenient for you, regardless of how inconvenient your roommates may be. Be sensitive to the situations people are in. Let me not start that one again. <laughs> so verse 34, and you went to him. The last will be emphasized on the fact that being a neighbor takes is an active process. It's something you must deliberately do. It's something that takes energy, so you must go. And we ended off last week by saying that and he bandaged his wounds. And for tonight, we just want to look at the next phrase, which is pouring oil and wine. Pouring oil and wine. So tonight, we're just perusing that phrase, pouring oil and wine. But in verse 34, which is fine in verse 34, the Bible said he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And later on, God willing, next week we'll look at the rest. That is, he took him on his own donkey and took him to an inn following. But we want to look at the significance of or what the Samaritan did when he poured oil and wine on him. You know, Bible days, oil mixed with wine was a, a common remedy that was used in, in those days in, in the ancient world to cleanse wounds and to reduce the effects of a pain. So it was something that they had practiced it was something that I'm sure they came up there. The scientists or the physicians of those days, they came up with this way to reduce the effect of wounds. And medically, it kind of makes sense because you know that this wine definitely contains alcohol. I know when I was studying this, I found this to be interesting because it stands to presuppose that on the wedding at Cana, the wine Jesus turned, it definitely was an alcoholic drink. <laughs> Let's not go there. But... This wine that he poured was a wine that contained alcohol. So it was obvious that he was trying to disinfect the area, which is to clean the skin around the wound, which is to prevent um, microorganisms, particularly bacteria, from entering the wound and making things worse. And he poured oil too, which was like to prevent, you know, oil is like a, a layer um, that covers surface, that prevents the entry of, of air and even other bacteria that will just aggravate issues. So then last week, I even battled the fact that he bandaging him was reducing the effects of pain. When people are going through situations, when we gossip, when we backbite against them, when we envy them, or when we go around spreading false rumors, instead of putting bandages, we are rather opening up the wounds. Instead of us praying for people, even if you have nothing to do, just keep quiet. If you don't have any bandages, you just keep quiet. But tonight, we want to look at what the man did. The Bible said that he poured oil and he poured wine. He poured oil and he poured wine. And this is God's mission for us because he's teaching us to be good Samaritans. And the mission that God has given to us is to pour oil and to pour wine on the wounds of people living around us, on our neighbors. Now, you know, when it comes to wine, you can, biblically, it has different ways that you can interpret it, especially in the light of Jesus. Because you know, in the Lord's Supper, there are two elements over there. The bread signifying the body of Jesus and the wine signifying the blood of Jesus. The wine signifying the blood 
of Jesus. And when we talk about the oil, the oil signifies the anointing of God or the anointing of the Holy Spirit. In Ecclesiastes, let's just read an interesting scripture talking about the oil. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 1. He said, Dead flies cause the ointment of the apocalypse to sting, to send forth a stinging savor. So does a little folly. That is in the reputation of wisdom and honor. He's talking about the anointing here, and he's saying that dead flies cause this anointing to send forth a bad smell. Now, the anointing talks about the Holy Spirit, and the wine talks about the blood of Jesus. But in all, we can use one word to summarize both the oil and the wine, talking about the finished work of Jesus whatever it be, because the only reason why we have access to the Holy Spirit is because of Jesus. And the only reason why the blood is available, it was because of what Jesus did on the cross. So the mission statement for God to us is to pour the finished work of Christ upon the wounds of people around us. We are supposed to be the dispensers of the blood of Jesus and the anointing of God upon our lives. That is why he says that he told the 120 disciples, do not be in the hurry to go out because you don't have the arsenals yet to solve the wounds and the hurts people are going through. But you need to go through a period of waiting where the wine, where the oil, where the anointment of the apocalypse will be prepared. And on Pentecost, God chose that day to pour them, to equip them with that anointing. And that is the same anointing he has given to us. And our mission is to pour oil and wine to the wounds of people. And how do we dispense or how do we administrate the oil and the wine primarily is through the preaching of the gospel. That's what many of us underestimate. Many people underestimate the preaching or the power in the preaching of the gospel. You see, many people think that Europe is where it is today because of technology or because of whatever reason, forgetting that the backbone of civilization globally is the preaching of the gospel. Globally, right from Egypt, the first country to be accredited in civilization, down to Europe, especially in England, industrialization all started with the church. And I think I've shown this on the podcast about how schools and hospitals in particular were the church's idea. But you see, many people think the church is a nuisance to this world, forgetting that the church is God's solution to the wounds of people. So in Corinthians, Paul said that God has chosen that through the foolishness of the preaching of the gospel to save people. Many people ask ourselves, why did God choose this means to deliver people? He calls it the foolishness of preaching because in our eyes, we don't know how preaching the gospel can solve the hurts and the pain people are going through. We see naturally, we think it's building more schools that solves our problem. We think it's having more research institutions that solve our problem. We think it's having more vaccines, more education, more roads that solves our problem. So you see many people downplay the effects of the church. We are like, I am by time came in Ghana where a church, I think, decided to build um, a prison or something. And every, not everybody, but a lot of people are like, hey, Instead of you to rather provide jobs for us <laughs> or to rather build schools or to rather do this, they're rather building prisons for people who are criminals. It's interesting. And the same thing that Judas did 
when the woman poured, the, um, poured an, an expensive oil at Jesus, the Bible said that why this waste? Don't you know we could have used this thing something for more, something more important? And you see, one noble thing people always like to use is the poor and the needy. That is the most noblest excuse. And you know, because immediately you use the poor and the needy, it's like we have nothing else to say. But God's solution is the preaching of the gospel. And that's why you must sponsor the preaching of the gospel. Now, the question is, how does the preaching of the gospel, how does pouring oil and wine solve the needs of people? How does administering the finished work of Jesus help solve the needs of people? How does dispensing the effect of the blood and the anointing solve the needs of people? There is a few things I want to share with us tonight and we'll be off. Whenever we dispense oil and wine through the preaching of the gospel, what we are doing is that we are delivering people from darkness into light. We are delivering people from deception into truth. We are delivering people from the lies of the devil to the truth of God. And an example can be seen with the woman that Jesus met at the well. She was living under a certain darkness. She was living under a certain cloud of lies. She was living under a certain delusion that marriage could solve her problem. And throughout her life, she was pursuing one man after the other, thinking that it is in marriage or in finding a man that will bring satisfaction to life. And many people are following suit because we are all under the lies of the devil that in pursuing something else, we will get that thing that gives us satisfaction to life only for us to find out that life in this world is like drinking seawater because the more you drink the thirstier you become so whenever we pour or whenever we preach the word what we are doing is that we are administering oil and wine because many people are pursuing life as a wild goose chase we are building castles in the air. We are building sand castles because we are living under a dissolution that a man's life consists of the abundance of things he has. And whenever we preach the gospel, we are delivering people from a life of uselessness, from a life of waste, from a life of futility. And this is what many people have subjected themselves to. Because many people are thinking that when, if only I can get this, I'll be okay in life. If only I can get that, I'll be okay in life. And because of this, people are willing to go to all length, even if it takes hurting their neighbor, just to achieve certain things because they are living under a certain law. So 1 John 2.17 says that the world passes away and the last thereof. So whenever we preach the gospel, what you don't know or what you may not realize is that you are delivering people from the shackles of an empty and a wasted life into a life of purpose, a life of joy, and a life of satisfaction. Many people are like the woman at the well. We are on our fifth marriage. 
thinking that we would find satisfaction. We are on our fifth agenda. We are on a mission for joy. We are on a mission for happiness. That is why people become addicted to certain drugs because they have a certain feeling that they think their drugs can satisfy. So what you don't know is that through the preaching of the gospel, we are delivering people from addictions. We are delivering people from bondage. We are delivering people from a wasted life. And he poured oil and he poured the wine. He poured the anointing and he ministered the blood of Jesus. The second thing we do when we pour oil and when we pour wine is that we deliver people from their curses in this world. You see, whether we realize it or not, the day Adam and Eve sinned, a curse or curses were released into this world. And I always like to say this, that Life of an unbeliever, you are a rat in the lap of life. You are at the disposal of the enemy. So whenever the enemy wants to target somebody, he doesn't mind how many unbelievers he would use or how many unbeliever lives he would jeopardize just to get one person because you are at his disposal. So immediately Adam and Eve fell, and in the garden we have deliberated on this enough. But immediately Adam and Eve decided to listen to the voice of the devil than the voice of God. Cases were released into this world because man stepped out of light into darkness. So cases were released into this world. Everybody is born into this world, is born into a case, is born into a fight. So even the ground was scared that the only way you can eat is through the sweat of your labor. Whether you are African, there's a case. Whether you are European, there's a case. Whether you are you are a Japanese or an Asian or an Australian, there's a case that's operating in this world. That is why the Bible says that Jesus hung on the cross because it's written that cursed be any man who died on the cross. So he came to redeem us from the curse of the law. And when you read Deuteronomy, you see the curse that God released for everybody who breaks the law. And this curse is in operation. And that is why Jesus needed to hang on the cross. He needed to become a curse so that we can become a blessing. So whenever we administer the oil and the blood, what we are doing is that we are translating people from a cursed life to a blessed life. You see, that's why many people don't know this. That's why they downplay the effects of preaching the gospel. Because they think that we are just making noise. And most people want to even make it sound low by saying we are motivational speakers. We are not here to motivate people. We are here to deliver them out of the shackles of a curse into a blessed life. So when God came to Abraham, he said that I will be your exceeding great reward. I will exceedingly bless you. And anybody who blesses you will be blessed. And anybody who curses you shall be cursed. We are all operating under a cloud of a curse over our lives. Everybody's family. Because whether we realize it or not, people ahead of us, lives connected to us, have messed up one way or another. And there are so many instances throughout the Bible. Because of what Solomon did, his son was cursed. Because God had told the prophet to tell Solomon that because of your father, I'm not going to take the kingdom away from you. But because of what you have done, the children are going to have a divided kingdom. So before the children even came to the world, a curse was released. The same thing with the sons of Eli. God cursed the family of Eli. And one of the things about the curse is that in the family of Eli, there would always be a leper. 
The same thing with Samuel's children. So whichever family you are born into, these things are in operation. And this is why people are living in heads. Because people are living a life of cycle, meaningless cycle. And when we preach the gospel, when we administer the wine and the oil, we are delivering people from a curse. The next thing we do when we preach the gospel is that we are delivering people from the oppression of the devil. And we all know Acts chapter 10 verse 38, how God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed. All who are oppressed of the devil. Why? For God was with him. First John 3 verse 8, the Bible says, For this purpose was the Son of Man made manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whether you realize it or not, sicknesses are a reality in this world. And the most dangerous of them is genetic sicknesses. Just because you are born into a family or you are born by certain parents, people are born with disorders that very little can be done about it. So what is the solution to this pain that people are going through? Just look at the way cancer is terrorizing lives. Look at the way leukemia is terrorizing lives. Look at the way certain genetic diseases are terrorizing lives. Just take a stroll at the hospital and you look at the pain people are going through and you ask yourself, what is the solution to people who are literally left half dead by the way of the blood? And what was the solution? God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. So whenever we are acting as our role, as children of God, we are also anointed. God has equipped us with oil and the wine to pour on the wounds of people. I always say this, we are all smiling, we are all going, we are all looking joyful, but many people are going through battles. Many people are going through mental disorders. And that's one of the most painful genetic diseases, mental disorders. And you ask yourself, what is the solution to these things? Administering the oil and the wine. Sickness. And you see, sickness alone has its own special case. That is why the Bible said that by his stripes we were healed. And if you notice, the Bible says that Jesus, the blood of Jesus, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And one of the consequences of sin is sickness. So Jesus had to shed blood five times. The blood that was on his head when the crown of thorns was put on his head. The blood from his arms when he was being nailed, his arms and his feet and on his side when he was pierced. Those were four. And the fifth one was at Gethsemane when his sweat turned into blood. All he needed to do was to release the blood in him because there's power in the blood. And whenever we, through the agency of preaching the gospel, we are dispensing the blood of Jesus. That has power to kill every sickness, every malfunctioning part of our body. Sickness is not good. Sickness is evil and painful. And many people have spent all their money. We are, many people are like the, the woman with the issue of blood. The Bible says she spent all she had on physicians for about 12 years until she came into contact with the oil and the wine. The next thing we do when we pour oil in the wine is that we give people arsenals to fight or we give people arsenals to enforce the victory that Christ 
has won for us. We give people arsenals to maintain the victory that Christ has won for us. So even as we are listening to this podcast, what you don't realize is taking on that I am literally through the agency of the Holy Spirit placing in your hands arsenals by which you can fight the violence of the enemy. The Bible said that the weapon of our warfare is not carnal, but it is mighty through God. How do you get these weapons? When you listen to the ministration of the word of God, God is literally placing in your hands armor in which you can stand against the vow of the devil. The Bible said that you resist the devil and he will flee. What is that armor by which we resist the devil? The word which we preach unto him. So Paul said that we have the same spirit of faith as it is written. We they believed and therefore they spoke. We also believe and therefore we speak. So when I ask you not right now, whenever you expose yourself to the word of God, what you don't realize is that God is giving you arsenals by which you can enforce the victory of God. And like as Bennett taught us when we were doing the book of Esther, a decree has been made by Haman. A decree has gone against us. But we are not left clueless. The king has given us a signet ring. And he's saying that just as Haman wrote a decree against you, I have also given you a signet ring. So whenever you expose yourself to the, to God's word, what you don't realize is that God is giving you his signet ring in which you can rewrite your story. The Bible says in Colossians 2, that he, Christ, blotted out every handwriting of ordinance which was against us. And now God, through the agency of his word, has given us an opportunity to rewrite our story. So whenever we listen to God's word, God is giving you arsenals. So when you listen to his poem and the Bible so that you are God's masterpiece, you look at yourself and you cancel every negative word, every negative story concerning your life and you rewrite your story with the arsenal that you are God's masterpiece. You are God's best regardless of what people and circumstances are saying. And he went on to him and he poured oil and the wine. Many people are battling with inferiority complex. Many people are battling with identity crisis. Many people are battling psychological issues. Even though Christ has won that battle for us, but because they have no arsenal, they are suffering a defeat from the battle that they have already won. So whenever we preach the gospel, we are like that good Samaritan We are going around telling people who are battling with identity issues. We are going around telling Gideons that are pressing their wine under the oak tree. And we are saying, arise, O mighty man of valor, arise. We are like Samuel. We are going to the house of Jesse. And we are looking for that last born that has been relegated to the backside of the wilderness. And we are saying, hey, I have come to pour oil and wine upon your wound. The next thing we do, when we minister the gospel or when we preach the word of God is that we deliver people from a life of hopelessness. We give people hope in this life. You know, there was an experiment done sometime where two rats were placed in a, in a container, an airtight container and filled with water. Two rats were placed in a container filled with water. But for one of the containers, a light or a small hole was made at the top of the container. So there was light entering the container. So after the holes were made in the container, 
it was left to stand and every hour they go and observe and see what is going on so they realized that the container that had no source of light after three hours the rats died but the one that had a source of light after three hours the rat was still alive after 24 hours when they looked they realized that the rat was still alive the rat was still struggling in the water after 42 hours the same thing it was after 72 hours that they realized that the rats had later drowned and died what was the significance of the experiment because one rat one one of the rats saw a source of light it gave him hope that there was an escape or it gave him hope that help was coming through so he gave him that energy to fight that energy to keep struggling to see if something could happen but the rats that had no source of life after three hours that rat had died so whenever we administer the oil and wine what we are doing is like we are that lighthouse deep in the ocean we are signaling people that there is a reason to life paul said that if only life in this world we are having hope in christ we are the most miserable of all people and it won't take you long for you to realize the vanity that is in this life. The only thing that gives us hope is that there is life after death. And not just life, but there is life with the Father. That is why Solomon later on said that vanity upon vanity, all is vanity. I want us to just read a statement Solomon made. I just found it very interesting. At least that's chapter 1. I think the last two verses. She said that, verse 16, I communed with my own heart, saying, Lo, I have come to a great estate. I have gotten more wisdom than they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. Now listen to what he says, <laughs> verse 17. I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and foolishness. <laughs> I perceive that this also is a vexation of spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief. And in much knowledge, or in he that increased knowledge, increased sorrow. What is Solomon saying? He said that he had so much wisdom that now he gave himself to both wisdom and foolishness. He was tired of wisdom. Wisdom was now suffocating him. That he said that now let me try wisdom. I finished trying wisdom. Now let me try foolishness. That was one of the reasons why he married so many people he married. And he had concubines, what we call side checks with over 300 of them because now he has applied his heart to wisdom and now he wants to apply his heart to foolishness. And he later on said that Charlie, with all knowledge, is just sorrow because he realized that he was living life under the sun. That is why when Jesus came, he said that a greater than Solomon is present because Solomon realized that if life is all about this earth, it's a very hopeless life. But when we preach the gospel, we are like that lighthouse telling that struggling seaman that there is hope. Do not give up. There is and it's the same thing that Jesus had. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus had a certain hope that one day he will call us his brothers. The Bible says that he brought many sons into glory. For this reason, he is not ashamed to call us brethren in Hebrews chapter 2 because of their joy to call us brethren. That is why Jesus endured the cross. So whenever we preach the gospel, we are giving people hope that endure the will of God. The will of God may not be pleasant. The will of God may sometimes be tiring and demanding and stressful. And you feel like, what is the purpose of living right? What is the purpose of living in integrity? What is the purpose of living to be righteous? Is there any need to be pure? But when you 
gospel, we preach the gospel to these people who are hurting. Because sometimes you can find yourself in a system that is so corrupt and degraded that you wonder, is there any purpose? Is there any reason for living for God? But whenever we preach the gospel, we are administering oil and wine to the head, to the wounds of these people. We are like that lighthouse. We are like that light to that rat that there is hope. There is hope in God. It's all about this world that is hopeless. Another reason Jesus said that you err because you know not the truth in Matthew 9, 22. He said you err because you know not the truth. You know not the scriptures nor the power of God. The reason why we must administer the oil and the wine is because people are living in error. People are living in error. Just take a look at people's lives and look at the choices people are making. You wonder, where does this thing come from? And because of the choices people are making, people are going through unimaginable pain. You know, I don't on the lighter side, when we're talking to people about their relationship, they can be a complicated mess. And you ask yourself, how did you get here? <laughs> and where did you pass? People are living in error. People are taking wrong choices. People don't know the choices to take in life. People are under the influence of bad cancer. And whenever we administer, and because of this, these people are left wounded. People have distorted images of love. You see, it's like watching pornography. It gives you a distorted image of something beautiful. It gives you an inaccurate, messed up image. So they don't even realize. You see, one day, <laughs> I think I was coming from work and I was with a colleague. And I don't know, we were talking, we were like, in Ghana, we are so used to bad roads. We think that it's actually normal to have roads with bottles. Like we think it's a normal thing because that's what we see all around. So we actually think that roads are only supposed to be one, roads are supposed to have bottles. It's a normal something. Two, roads are only supposed to like main streets. But if it's the roads in the neighborhood there that's supposed to be rough. You see, because we are so used to bad roads, we think it is normal. Until you travel to Europe or more developed countries, before you would realize that, hey, Charlie, we were living in some, <laughs> we were, we are living in some, in some <laughs> disordered society. You see the way people can defecate anywhere, left, right, center. You actually think it's normal until you travel to a more developed country. There you realize that even when you are taking your dog for a walk, you must go with a politan bag. Because whenever your animal or your pet defecates, you must pick it up. But you see, we can be so used to a disorganized system, we think it's actually the normal thing. And as for the most common ones, if you are driving in Ghana. Yeah, somebody, I saw a tweet also said that driving in Ghana is exhausting because you are not just thinking for yourself. You are thinking for all the other drivers. You are thinking for the motorbike riders. You are thinking for the pedestrians because it's like everybody is just moving carelessly on the road. And you may actually think that that is normal until you go to a society and you realize that there's structure. And this is how many people's lives are. Many people are so used to living a life of error. Many people are so used to living a distorted image about finances, about love, about their bodies that they actually don't know. So whenever people realize is creativity. And I will just give this scenario that look at the currently there about what seven billion people live in this world. We are waiting for the next <laughs> world census. But currently 
there are about seven billion people. But can you imagine all the people that have lived from Adam up until now? And even science can clearly tell us that no two people have and ever had the same fingerprint. So if God has not run out of ideas in making our fingerprint, even look at our faces. Generally, everybody has two eyes, one nose, one mouth, two ears. But God has not run out of ways of arranging our eyes, our nose, our mouth. And he's not going to ever run out of ideas. In our DNA, is locked up the power of creativity. You see, that is why in Europe, particularly in America and in UK, the church, Christianity, was the bedrock of technology. People like John D. Rockefeller. These people understood that in their DNAs, because they are children of God, creativity and technology, innovation is a product of the life of God in them. So when we preach the gospel, we are letting people realize the deposits of God that is in them. So the songwriter says, Jesus is the answer of the world today. When we say, what about Africa? We are preaching, but the issue is, are we preaching the gospel? And that is where the issue can be. Are we preaching Jesus Christ? You see, the solution to Ghana's problem, you know, Ghana, we say every um, 70% are Christians. And I'm telling you, if you live long enough in Ghana, you would realize that 70% are not Christians. 50% go to church. The remaining 20 were born by Christians or born by churchgoers. You can go to an institution where everybody that can claim to be a Christian, but there is no iota of the fragrance of Christ. That is not, this is not a Christian nation. We are a religious nation. We are not a Christian nation. So what is the solution to the hurts and the pain people in Ghana, in Africa, and the world are going through? Look at the way young people are being destroyed in Europe. They have no idea what they are doing. The moral compass in Europe has just gone haywire. People don't even know who they are any longer. People are in pain, so they are the result to alcoholism. They result to drugs. They result to funny relationships, funny unnatural relationships with people, thinking that they will find the solution to their problem. These people are left half dead by the road. And this evening, going through the agency of this podcast, is awakening good Samaritans in us. That is time for us to get down from our donkeys. It's time for us to take our bandage, our oil, and our wine. It's time for us to go to the people that are left half dead and to pour on them the blood of Jesus. I want to close with Obadiah 121. The Bible says that, And sickness shall arise from Mount Zion. Let's read Obadiah 1, I think 17 rather. And I believe this is an opportunity for those of us who have never opened up a diary or who don't even know that it's, <laughs> it exists. Wow. Let's, let's look at the verse 17 first. It says, But upon Mount Zion <laughs> shall be delivered, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possession. What is on Mount Zion that is going to bring deliverance? Verse 21 answers, it says, and saviors shall arise from Mount Zion to judge the mouth of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Saviors are arising, and this is the stirring. This is God's word for us tonight, that God is calling us as saviors to the cries and the heads of 
people. God is calling us that we are on Mount Zion. We are the source of deliverance. People are battling cancer. People are battling diabetes. People are battling genetic disorders. People are battling anxiety. People are battling distorted images. People are battling messed up lives. And God is calling us as the saviors from Mount Zion. We have been called as the good Samaritans to go down and administer oil and wine. You want to just spend some time in prayer. God is awakening us. God is awakening sleeping soldiers. And in case you have not realized, you are the saviors. Jesus is our first savior. He has come to raise up many saviors. But the Bible did not say, and a savior shall arise from Mount Zion. But he said, savior shall arise from Mount Zion. In case you have not arise, in case you have not realized, God is calling you as a savior. People are in messed up relationship. People are battling financial poverty. People are in poverty. But God is calling us. Remember last week we learned that the Samaritan is not really a Jew. Neither is the agenda. He's half half. So it's like we are of this earth earthly, but we are of heaven. We are from Mount Zion. Even though we are possessing this earthly body, even though we are living life on earth, actually our identity is of heaven. And in Philippians, the Bible says that for we are from heaven. We are from heaven. Our citizenship is of heaven. That is why we are of Samaritans not really fit with the world, even though we God awakening us to the fact that you are the good Samaritan, you are the solution, you are the savior, and God through the agency of this world is equipping us with the oil and wine. And God is saying that go down to the way of the blood and pour it on all people name of our Lord Jesus. Father, I pray for every listener. I pray that Lord, you continually to equip us. We will continually avail ourselves to receive of the oil and the wine. To receive of the oil and the wine. Just as you told the 120 people, so are you also telling us that carry thee in Jerusalem until we are endued with power, until we are endued with the oil, until we are endued with wine. Father, we pray for grace to tarry for the endowment of oil and wine. We pray for grace to tarry until you are endured to minister the finished work of Christ. For Jesus is the answer of the world today. Jesus is the answer for poverty because the Bible said that for our sake, though he was rich, he became poor. And through his poverty, we might become rich. Jesus is the answer to the disgrace and the messed up life people are in. For the Bible said that he came to give us beauty for ashes. He came to take up our messed up situation to give us his beauty. Jesus is the answer to mental disorder, to anxiety. For the Bible says that lay upon you your burden. Say, cast your cares upon him, for I care for you. Paul said that we do not have the spirit of timidity again to fear, but the spirit of power, love, and of a sound man. Jesus is the answer to anxiety. He is the answer to mental disorder. He is the answer to all the problems of this world because he is equipped with the power and the oil. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that we will come to this realization that we are good Samaritans. We pray that we will come to this realization that you have equipped us with the oil and the wine. And we go forth as saviors to administer the oil and the wine. In the name of our Lord Jesus, Amen. Wow, we bless God for this refreshing time in His presence. We thank God for bringing His word to us, for equipping us. And we pray for grace that from today forth, 
we would realize that we are saviors who are arising from Mount Zion. We are good Samaritans on the way of the blood. And every half dead man needs is our mission. Thank you for being with us. Invite your friends to come and join us, even as we renew our minds with the word of God, even as we empower ourselves from on high. And remember that even as the movie begins, remember that the mission still remains the same to give God your best, your very best, and to make sure that the only thing you do anyway is love. See you next week and bye bye.